Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spirited and spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. So one of the ways that we greet the divine on a Sunday morning is we welcome the people around us here. Let us say together the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. We light the fire of truth and ask to be clear, wise, and humble enough to admit when we don't know. We kindle the warmth of community and ask for open-heartedness and patience. We are grateful to the spirit of life and ask to learn the secret to loving and being loved. Our call to worship is from Lao Tzu, an ancient Chinese philosopher, thought to be a 6th century BCE contemporary of Confucius. He is the founder of philosophical Taoism and the attributed author of the Tao Te Ching, a compilation of Taoist sayings. He is considered a deity in religious Taoism and traditional Chinese religions. If there is to be peace in the world, there must be peace in the nations. If there is to be peace in the nations, there must be peace in the cities. If there is to be peace in the cities, there must be peace between neighbors. If there is to be peace between neighbors, there must be peace in the home. If there is to be peace in the home, there must be peace in the heart. This congregation has a mission statement that guides us as we make decisions, as we move into the future. One of the things we do to remind ourselves of what we're doing here is we say this mission statement every Sunday morning. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Our meditation reading is from Thich Nhat Hanh, a Vietnamese Buddhist monk and peace activist. He has published over 100 books, including more than 70 in English. He is active in the peace movement, promoting nonviolent solutions to conflict. He refrains from animal consumption as a means of nonviolence toward animals. Let us be at peace with our bodies and our minds. Let us return to ourselves and become holy ourselves. Let us be aware of the source of being common to us all and to all living things. Evoking the presence of the great compassion, let us fill our hearts with our own compassion towards ourselves and towards all living beings. Let us pray that we ourselves cease to be the cause of suffering to each other. With humility, with awareness of the existence of life and of the sufferings that are going on around us, let us practice the establishment of peace in our hearts and on earth. Amen. In this congregation, we try to present different spiritual exercises that you may take and use on your own if you care to. 
One of them is the song by which we sing the children out. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. That's something that you could repeat on an internally stormy day. I invite you to silently go through the meditation or listen to your inner wisdom, speak to God as you understand God, or listen to your breath as it comes in and out of your bodies. One question I hear pretty often is, 
how do I talk to my relatives who are fundamentalist Christians, Catholics, not to say Catholics aren't Christians, but some fundamentalist Christians think that, <laughs> fundamentalist Muslims, how do I talk to my family who are fundamentalist conservatives um, about being a Unitarian Universalist? And I want to say it's hard. I, I affirm to you that it is difficult. And so I want to talk a little bit about the science, which you've heard about, I'm sure, about uh, brains, which tend to be conservative, and brains, which tend to be liberal. And what they're finding out, University of Nebraska, NYU, uh, is that there are... Um, about half the nation is hardwired to be conservative. What does that mean? It means more oriented toward uh, combating threats, more alert to threats, um, a little bit more uh, afraid of change, a little bit more uh, repulsed by differences. Um, and then the liberal brain is a little bit more receptive to uh, images which are disturbing. They, they give images to these study uh, subjects, and that's why I'm talking about images, photographs. The, the ones with the liberal brains are, are a little bit more able to see um, images which some people would find disturbing or threatening and not react in a fear, fearful way. And so... What they think is that what goes along with this conservative um, wiring is that you uh, affirm a strong military, law and order, um, authoritarianism may not bother you. You can kind of see how it can be a good thing. Um, the gun culture, the wide availability of guns is something that makes a person feel safe. And I was channel changing on my way to some British murder mystery. And, um, <laughs> duh. and I ran across this show called The View, which I've never really watched all the way through. But there was this white lady on there with blonde hair. And she was saying in this kind of frantic voice, I'm just not going to live without guns. I can't live without guns. And I just thought, oh, my God, poor baby. I don't know what kind of world she lives in. Um, maybe she does a lot of target shooting. I don't know. But that's not the voice she had. Um, so it's gotten to the place where the researchers can predict whether a person's going to be politically or religiously uh, conservative or liberal just depending on their eye movements when they see certain pictures. They don't have to talk about them. There's no survey or anything. They just go, um, you have these eye movements, and, and that leads us to believe that you're going to be um, in this cluster of people who believe these things are important. And what they find also, um, it, it sounded bad for the conservatives at first. And in 2003, this man named John Yost from NYU had a backlash from conservative congressional representatives who tried to pull his funding um, because they didn't like the way they sounded in his research. Oh, we're not fear-based. We're not jumpy. We don't have an intolerance of ambiguity or a need for certainty. What? What? Um, but they found that so many of his peers were finding the same thing that they finally just went, er. <laughs> and 
truthfully, there's probably an evolutionary reason why uh, the people need half of them to be a little bit more threat-oriented. I mean, that makes sense. Well, the liberal members of the tribe are like around the fire singing Kumbaya. Somebody's listening for the tiger in the woods. (laughs) It's a good thing. And they found that conservatives tend to be happier people in that having things you're certain of, I know this is true, I know that's icky, I know that's weird, um, whether they're right or not, makes them happy. And liberals tend to be open-minded, not as fearful, a little more neurotic. And I think we can all say amen. (laughs) So, all that is to say, if you post uh, liberal memes on Facebook, you're not going to change anybody's mind. If you post facts, you're not going to change anybody's mind. This is a non-rational situation. And you cannot address a non-rational situation with rational thoughts or facts. Plus, since 1987 and the fairness doctrine bit the dust, you have red stations and blue stations. You no longer have to show both sides. So you have red facts and blue facts. You have people listening to a red station who never, never will hear the things that people hear who listen to blue stations, and vice versa. So there are many, many conservatives who who find out what they think from listening to Rush Limbaugh or some of those other people whose names I can't keep straight, or Fox News, and there are many, many liberals, and I confess it's a struggle for me not to be one of these, who just say, I don't know what I think till I watch Rachel. And then (laughs) she'll let me know. So, red facts, blue facts, red people, blue people, it's gotten so polarized that we just think, we tend to think that the other side is ignorant or dumb or clownish. Um, There's a moral code that human beings in our culture tend to have, and it has... um, different elements to it. One is the fairness element. Are things fair? One is the compassion to suffering element. Uh, One is the, are things pure or sanctified? And the other, the fourth is, is, does this show respect for authority? Now, conservatives tend to value all four. Liberals tend more to value the first two. Compassion, fairness, compassion for suffering, um, and also fairness. But I think they're wrong. I think the people who wrote the surveys probably were red people. Because if you look at our liberal cancel culture, where you can just say one thing and then it's like, oh, he said this thing. I thought I liked him, but he canceled. Now, I'm not even going to say his name anymore. Oh, that, that group of candidates, I, I've seen them say every one of them has said something wrong, so they're out. Except this one that I haven't seen any say anything wrong yet. That's purity, my friends. Also, purity is like, I am, I'm speaking for myself here, torn. Because 
I'm happy that the Target company is good on guns, but apparently they're not good on the Amazon rainforest. Should I shop there or not? And then I think purity is an illusion. It is impossible. But I still wonder who I should boycott. Also recycling. We spent January in Berkeley, and oh my goodness, that is a purity culture, especially when it comes to recycling. They have five bins, but none of the bins is just for everything else, which I needed. This bin is for yard waste. This bin is for glass. This bin is for plastic. This one is for dirty paper, and this one is for clean paper. I'm like, I have a blueberry. (laughs) Finally, the host got tired of us. Which one is this? I was like, just throw it away. I'll I'll sort through it later. (laughs) And so let us um, talk about how to talk to people with whom we disagree virulently and who also disagree with us virulently, let us look to the FBI negotiator's handbook, uh, Steps to Understanding. The first step is active listening. This is hard. I'm using something from my own family as an example. How do I do active listening when someone says, but Aunt Meg, God is a man. <laughs> I go with the time-honored Southern phrase, hmm. Men should be head of the household, therefore. Hmm. Now, active listening builds to empathy, which means the kind of active listening where you can't just go, hmm. You have to get in touch with that part of yourself. (laughs) I'm sorry. That thinks the man should be the head of the household no matter what. I don't, I'm not, is that male bashing? I don't think so. I have two sons. I just think the people who should be head of the household, uh, I don't think there should be a head of the household. I think they should like collaborate and maybe whoever's better at something should do that thing. And if the head of the household means you keep the books, then whoever's better at that does that. And whoever, if the head of the household is the one who, you know, kills the bugs, then whoever's better at that. How do people... Okay, so active listening, empathy. I try to get in touch. I can't get in touch with the part of me that thinks that that's true. But I can, I can get in touch with the part of me that thinks that she thinks that's true. And I can say, the man should be the head of the household which is a neutral repetition 
a la Carl Rogers therapy training, you repeat the last words the person said when you're at a loss. And that helps them feel heard because you did hear them. And you're not reacting. You just go, the man should be head of the household. And then they'll talk some more. And then you repeat the, uh, the last three words of what they said then. Because here's the deal. This takes a long time. And it takes love. And if you don't love someone enough to really feel them and to have empathy and compassion for that part of them that believes this, and if you can't see how they could get there, you're going to stay on the empathy step until you do get there. Because people can smell it when you're just pretending. You can smell it when somebody's going, ha okay, what else? That's not empathy. That's please stop talking. I don't want to hear anymore. So empathy is when you can really hear them. So you can say encouraging things like, hmm, or repeating the last words. Or you can say, I hear you. Because you do. And you're getting to understanding. And it's hard. And another open-ended question is, help me understand how you came to this position in as neutral a tone as you can make. Help me understand this. Or what's important to you about this belief? What What kind of world would it be if just there were no heads of households? What kind of world would that be? And they'll go, it would be horrible. You wouldn't know. There'd be no order. Cats would marry dogs. They'd be terrible. (laughs) And sometimes just asking questions like, most of you know that I spent, um, I think it was two months, on a bus with lots of Moonies. And one of my friends was a Moonie, Gary. He'd grown up Southern Baptist. And we bonded. We found common ground over um, the old Southern blood hymns. And so we'd sit there in the bus and we'd sing those old hymns, you know, there's power in the blood. Are you washed in the blood? There's a fountain filled with blood. Some of y'all know these songs and some of you are horrified. (laughs) Trust me, I'm talking about real songs. And I would ask him what he believed because asking people about their beliefs is one of my hobbies. And I would say, so What's, um, what's being saved in the Unification Church? What is that all about? And he said, well, we send our photographs. Um, Reverend Moon has our photographs, and he puts wine on them, and that washes us from our sin. And I just say, hmm. <laughs> and then I repeat, he puts wine on your picture, and that washes your sins away. And he goes, You know, as I say it out loud, it sounds kind of (laughs) dumb. Hmm. It's hard for even the most passionate and committed person to carry on a one-sided argument. If you're just repeating what they say and going, hmm, and saying, tell me more, and really trying to get to empathy, it's not going to be an argument. You're not going to change their mind unless you get to the place where you have rapport 
which is a place where you have so much empathy for them that really they might change your mind as easily as you change theirs. That's hard. You have to really, really understand how they could be thinking and feeling the way they do. I know, I heard somebody sigh. I feel that way too. It's hard. But if you're going to be getting to the step where you have influence, you got to get there. Because you can't have influence. We like to, we like to go straight into influencing. You know, and I say to somebody who believes in hell, I say, okay, what would happen in our culture here if a parent burned their kid for doing something wrong? And they go, well, you go to jail. Are we better parents than God? I don't know if it would change anybody's mind. I'm just quoting from the Baltimore Sermon, William Ellery Channing, 1819. I don't know if it would change their mind. I doubt it because you know what? If somebody has a very strong belief system, and some of you have left systems like this to be here, your whole family, your whole support system, Sometimes your livelihood, your friends, your, uh, your identity is wrapped up in that belief system. And when you leave it, you run the risk of losing all of that, and it's too much. It can be too much. And I talk to a lot of people who become Unitarian Universalists from other traditions, and they go, I... I'm grieving not over the loss of my faith, but over the loss of that sense of belonging and that sense of security. And I could walk into the room and everybody knew my name and we all knew we believed the same stuff. I'm mourning the loss of that. So when you, when you try to change somebody's mind, are you willing for them to risk all of that? They're not. Facts aren't going to do it. Good questions probably won't do it. So it's hard And you have to have empathy for that before you can have any influence. And I I think one of the things that you can say is, I know you believe that. I'm talking to my dad. I've asked him, this is some years ago, I asked him over the phone, please don't quote the Bible to me anymore, because he did that every conversation. I said, it makes me feel like throwing up, and which was a phase I was in then. Uh, it was over after about 15 years. And, <laughs> and then, then we were face to face, and he quoted the Bible about something, and I said, he said, but Maggie, the Bible says da 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 And I said, yes, it does. You're not wrong. And he said, so, I said, I just don't only go by what the Bible says. Which felt brave in my family. And then he said, but Maggie, and he said it with love so I could listen to him. But Maggie, it's bread. It's bread. And I said, I know you think that. I know you think that. 
we can sing one of those old hymns together. Let's just sing an old hymn together, find common ground. We can just agree that God is love. We can just agree that family is important. We can agree that being kind. I was on the phone with my dad for his 94th birthday a couple weeks ago. And he said, you know, I've come up with a new thought. I said, what is it? He said, my religion is kindness. And I said, yes, that's what the Dalai Lama says. (laughs) And he said, oh, well, the people I write for would not read me if I said that. And I said, I'm sorry, you're writing for such a bunch of closed-minded jerks. That's not what you should do. But I'm willing to model both positive and negative as we all figure this thing out. Let us extinguish the chalice together. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. We are the people of open minds. We are the people of listening ears. We are the people of loving hearts and helping hands. Yes, you are. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.